Well, I want to personally welcome each and every one of you this morning. My name is Zach. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I would love to if you're a guest or maybe you're just here visiting family this morning. We are so honored that you would take some time out of your weekend to join us. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. Did you guys have a wonderful Christmas with family? Wonderful. Great. We, did, we enjoyed time with some friends yesterday and looking forward to um, some time with family this week. Well, this is the final part of our Bring series, which Bring is the third installment in this core vision that we have as a church of build, share, and bring. Build the relationship, share the story, bring the people. Our mission as a church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to reach people who are far from God, and then we want to see those who have, who have come to know Christ grow in their relationship with Christ. That is our core purpose, our core focus as a church. And so we want to obey Christ by following his commands to take the gospel to people who are far from him and then seeing them take those next steps. And so in part one of this series, we were reminded that we have been given the greatest gift and the greatest gift that has ever been given to this world is the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the greatest gift ever given to this world. And that was part one. And then in part two, Pastor Michael let us know, he, he pointed out that we need to bring ourselves and we need to bring our desires to God to bring him glory so then we can bring others to God as well. And then last week, we looked at all of the obstacles and all of the barriers that keep us from being bringers. Luke 5 tells the story of a paralyzed man and how his friends wouldn't be stopped in their efforts to get their friend to Jesus. We were challenged to identify what obstacles keep us from being, being bringers. And one thing is certain, that believers have to be bringers. Our text today will be Acts 1. So if you have a Bible, if you would find Acts chapter 1 in your Bible. And while you're finding Acts 1, I want to take just a moment and talk a little bit about what's going on during the time that the book of Acts is being written. Luke is the author of Acts, and he is one who investigated and interviewed and chronicled all that has happened since Jesus was raised from the dead. And he was then Holy Spirit inspired to log all of it down officially in the documents that we have that we call, that are called Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and then this book called Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is what maybe your heading says in your Bible, or it's former, and that's what it's, it's been formally called in the church world. But after three years of ministering with him, Jesus, their Messiah, he has been killed on the cross, where he willingly laid down his life for the sins of the world, offering salvation to those who repent and put their faith in him. 
Now, many of the people that we're going to hear from this morning were eyewitnesses to this event that you'll read about in the book of Acts. They were there on the ground. They saw the experience. They got to be involved in a lot of the things that we're going to read about. They, they heard him teach. They heard him preach. They saw him suffer. They saw him die. And they also saw him resurrected back to life. But it was during this time that the apostles found themselves extremely confused because they thought that everything was over. All they believed and everything that they had been taught, they, they must have been wrong about. This Jesus who was bringing the dead back to life and was healing sicknesses and, and diseases of all kinds, he's gone. They must have been wrong. The Jesus who they had expected to come and, and politically restore the nation of Israel was now dead. So, and taking with him the hope that they'd clung to in spite of all that Jesus tried to teach them while he was alive. It was an extremely dark and it was an extremely confusing time for these people. Jesus was in the grave for three days while they mourned, but then, as we know today, he miraculously was resurrected. He defeated death and hell in the grave, and that's what we celebrate every Easter and hopefully every single day of our lives, that we remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, conquering our sin and giving us life because we were dead in our sin. We celebrate that, that hope is alive. And Jesus began appearing to the people individually and in groups to show proof that he was who he said he was all along. And so after 40 days, Jesus ascends to heaven from a mountainside and he tells his followers what to expect next. And so when Luke journals all of this down, it's clear that he wanted us to know the details about this factual, real-life event that took place so that we today— and all the people who lived after him could know that this was so. But what's also clear in this passage is that an event was about to take place that would be so pivotal and so significant that they could be even more sure that Jesus was who he said he was all along and to give them what they need in order to obey his command. But they were going to have to do some more waiting. And waiting is something that most of us don't enjoy. Before we talk about the wait, I want to ask another question. How many of you have ever been guilty of overthinking? I, I heard the laughs. <laughs> I'm going to keep mine inward because I overthink a ton. But do you just, do you ever just spend so much time considering and evaluating and analyzing all of the data? If you're a nerd, you use words like data. You, over, you just, you overanalyze the data and the details and, 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 and you've got your spreadsheet out in Excel and, and you know where you're supposed to be this time next year. And when you're not there, it just drives you crazy. And I admit that I am a chronic, I am, I am an overanalyzer. I think way too long and I think way too hard about things that could be a lot easier. When it comes to faith, we can sometimes make things much more difficult than they need to be. Would you agree? I think that that is a problem that a lot of Christians have. We overanalyze our faith to the point of where it's just not alive in us like it needs to be. 
that we can overcomplicate our Bible study. We can overcomplicate the process and the gift of prayer. We can, we can overcomplicate and overanalyze faith practices, even gospel conversations. And in the passage that we're about to read here in just a moment, Jesus, he, in, a, in a way, he brushes away, wipes clean all of the confusion and the misunderstandings and wrong expectations about how faith as Christ followers should go. And he sets the stage for these people to receive everything and, 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 and all, and for us as well, for us to receive everything, the one thing they would need and that we would need in order to accomplish this mission on this earth. So if you have your place there in Acts 1, we're going to begin reading with verse 1 here. Luke writes, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, as I just said a moment ago, during the 40 days following the resurrection of Jesus, he spent time teaching and meeting with his followers. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus was witnessed. He was seen by over 500 different people after his resurrection. Uh, historians like Josephus have written about Jesus and his appearing to people after his death on the cross. I can only imagine what an exciting time this was for the apostles and for his mother Mary and those who had followed so closely with him. Out of all the places in the Bible, I wish this was one of the places we had more details. Like as we talked last week about things that we wish we could know more about, I, I, if we're allowed to ask more questions in heaven, if we'll be in that mindset, I want to ask like what took place in between your resurrection or yeah, your resurrection and your ascension into heaven. I just would love to know what those conversations looked like. Can you imagine the victorious feeling of being with, physically with, the resurrected Jesus? I mean, can you imagine that feeling? I mean, spending time eating with him and ministering alongside him once again. All the haters, all the people who said, you're idiots for following this Jesus. He's never going to be who you think he's going to be. They were all proved wrong in this moment. And your beliefs are now confirmed physically and visibly by the one who claimed them. Verse four continues. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Translation is simply Jesus is saying, that's not important. That's not what you need to worry about right now. But verse eight is really important. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, 
We know what they didn't know, that there was something, they didn't fully understand that there was something that they didn't have yet. But it was going to be essential to their mission as they move forward, and it's the Spirit. So Jesus, he gives them instructions. He says that they are to wait for what they need. Then that one thing they need the Holy Spirit of God will come upon them and he will equip them and they will, they will begin preaching the good news of the gospel. They will begin preaching Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and they will start right here in Jerusalem. And this church will be built up and this church will be strengthened. But then persecution is going to come and they're going to be spread out. Now, with our human eyes, with, with our eyes as we see them in our humanity, we may see this as a negative. I tend to feel that way about persecution. This cannot be a good thing. But it's not always a bad thing or a negative thing, not in the eternal mission of God. You see, this scattering that, that you will read about if you take the time to read the book of Acts, they were scattered, and, and that was a good thing because now the gospel is going to quickly spread beyond Jerusalem. And that was God's plan. And he has the details worked out. He knew what they needed. And don't miss the reference to Samaria in verse 8, by the way. That was a big deal. Now, media in our culture today really hypes up some of the racial tensions that we experience, but it's nothing new. There has always been racial tensions in this world. Actually, I don't know that it's been worse than it was in this time in history. You see, ethnic division was a major issue at this time. Samaritans were absolutely not accepted by the Jews but in this new system, this new covenant that Jesus had come to set up, all people are now included. In fact, Philip is going to take the gospel to the Ethiopian people. Big deal. And one leading Ethiopian official in Acts chapter 8 will give his life to Jesus Christ. But it even gets crazier because Peter, who is the rowdiest of the group, he takes the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, which is a really big deal because he was not for the gospel spreading to the Gentiles. And so it continues to spread in Antioch and to Syria. Literally, the gospel floodgates are opened. This whole to the ends of the earth that verse 8 ends with, that, that's... With the disciples, it had whole new meaning to the disciples. It was going to come to pass. Now, there's a word that shows up in verse 8. It's the word witnesses or the word witness. And this comes from the Greek word martis. And the idea was this, that, that we have seen and we know and we have experienced firsthand whom we are now declaring to you. The apostles witnessed the risen Savior alive. They witnessed him walking and talking. This is also where we get the word martyr. And as we know, the majority of those that we read about in the New Testament were killed for this message of proclaiming the gospel to a world that was lost. But Luke continues in verse 9. 
He says, and when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Crazy moment, by the way. And while they were gazing into heaven, mouths open, probably drooling a little bit, he went, uh, and as they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus whom was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here is a promise that all that is to come, the trials and all the pain and all of the hurt and all of the trauma and all of the drama, it will not be in vain. One day, Heaven is coming for those who know Jesus. And one day, a trumpet is going to sound, as Paul tells us. And Jesus will come, and he will get us. That's awesome. And I hope that that's soon. But there's a sobering question that I have to ask in relation to what we've been talking about for the last few months. That if that trumpet sounds today, will your friends... And will your family, will your coworkers and your neighbors and your parents and your children, will they be ready? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know what any of this means. Will you be ready for the time that Jesus blows that trumpet and he comes back and we as Christians leave this earth? Or if you take your final breath today, will you be ready? It's important to think about those questions. We celebrate the fact that one day Jesus is coming for us, but we can't celebrate too soon because we have work to do. So, they wait for the Spirit. That's what we see taking place in Acts chapter 1, but in chapter 2, we know that the wait is over. So look at verse 1 in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and, be, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was a worldwide gospel moment for these people. The Spirit has come and it has been unleashed on the church with power like nothing these Christians had ever seen before other than the walking, talking, breathing Jesus himself. So Peter preaches in chapter 2 declaring the risen Christ. And in verse 31, we see 3,000 people give their hearts to Jesus. They are saved and they are baptized. These apostles, they teach the scriptures, they serve one another, they meet in homes, they share the gospel with everyone, and the whole thing just takes off. And they had all they needed to do this work. Now here are some details about what this vibrant church looked like. Looked like. Skip down to verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple 
and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were devoted to the word and they were devoted to each other. They met like we are meeting right now in the early church. They had large group gatherings in the temple, just like we're having right now. But it didn't stop there. They would then meet in homes and they would, they would learn under the apostles' teaching, similar to how we do it in our own church here. We have small groups that meet in homes and you discuss what the pastors on this stage teach and preach. It's a biblical model. Our small groups are as close to Acts as you can possibly get. And that didn't stop there though. They experienced community. And that word means a lot of things in our culture. But community is something that is really hard to experience in this room. There's, you can't have more gatherings to experience more intimate community where accountability and friendship are developed and fostered. There's no better way than in smaller settings. This early church experienced faith-centered prayer. They were unified around the gospel and Jesus and God blessed their efforts. In Acts chapter four, the apostles were before the council for preaching the gospel. And as they were being questioned, the word about these believers who were filled with the spirit of God, it began to spread and people listened. And I just want to read one verse from Acts chapter four, verse four. It says, but many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Just counting the men alone, this church in Jerusalem was a church of 8,000 plus people. Some historians believe this church got up to 20 to 25,000 people before they begin church planting. That's a big church. But there was a movement of God taking place that it couldn't be stopped. And so God was blessing it. The spirit moving, it brings these people direction and it also fills them with the passion that they need to continue to do the work that he had called them to do. And with the spirit, even during persecution, they pray for boldness. I'm gonna skip down to verse 29, it'll be on the screen. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. The apostles are praying. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. Oh, I long for those days in the church. The threats and the persecution and the social pressure and all the things, they couldn't stop this church because they were in gospel unity. And gospel unity is what matters. You see, the same is still true for us. The wait is over. 
We have all we need. All we need has already been given. The Spirit has come. We have all we need to fulfill the mission that God has given each and every one of us. You see, the gospel has made a change in our lives and all throughout the world. And people must know. So the church has been launched and it's been strengthened It is unified around absolutely nothing but the gospel and his word. And this church, this body of believers, they're just like us. We have the same spirit that they had that indwelled these earthly, these early church believers. And this spirit should be recognizable by the joy and the power and the strength that we have today. You see, there is nothing else that we need to wait on. Not the perfect interaction, not a prime situation, not even a perfect skill set. We need nothing else to be effective in this mission. The Spirit is all we need, and He has been graciously given to us when we give our lives to Jesus, and He loves us, and He's with us. And this God we serve never leaves us going without what we truly need. He always comes through for us. He always provides for us. It's it's in that mindset that he is always giving us all we need that we can truly sing those words of that song, you're never gonna let me down. Because he never lets us down. Not for our gain or our comfort, but for his purpose and his glory, he will never let us down. You see, God saw Adam and Eve in the garden with their spiritual need the same way he saw us in our spiritual need. And he provided salvation for us, for all those who would repent and freely trust in him. He saw us in our need that we would be without him after he resurrected and he returned to heaven and he sent us the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, just as equal to God and Jesus himself. Like the Spirit is no less important than God or Jesus Christ. They are equal in complete unity. The Spirit's important, but Jesus always gives far more abundantly than we ask or think. His good character would never leave us without what we need, so he gave us the Spirit to be our helper, to be our comforter, to be our counselor, to be our guide, to be our interceder. In fact, Jesus told his followers in John 16 that it was better for them that they have the Spirit with them, that it was good for them that he went away so the Spirit could come. And was that because one was better than the other or that one was more capable or that one was more loving? Absolutely not. It's because Jesus in his earthly form was only one God-man in one place at a time. But the Spirit would be with each one of us inside our hearts, leading and guiding us each day and equipping us for the tasks that we are called to do. You can't go anywhere with another Christian and be absent of the Spirit. He's always there. You see, even beyond our need for salvation, God saw that his people would need help in order to survive in this life. But more importantly, we would need his spirit to proclaim that gospel. 
We need the Spirit in order to obey his command. We need strength and equipping far beyond what we could accomplish on our own. We would need someone to help us or we would never be able to fulfill what it is he's called us to do. And our good Father never asks us to do something that we're not able to accomplish with what he's given us. When God requires something of us, whether it be uh, the, the resisting of some type of sin or to choose his ways or to pursue holiness or even to share the gospel, he always gives us every ounce of what we need in that moment. All we need has already been given to us. So, in light of this series, in light of this core vision that we have, we must take the gospel to our Jerusalem. This mission is why we have spent so much time on this the last few months. And as your pastor and as a shepherd, I'm reminding myself and all of us that we can't lose sight of the mission. We can't forget what our core purpose as the church is. And when we stay laser focused on the gospel and discipleship, we can endure anything as we are unified around the gospel and the word. You see, all we need has already been given. So what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? What am I waiting for? The available calendar date? That never comes. Are we waiting for the perfect social situation where everything feels warm and fuzzy? That may never come. Are we waiting for where there's no risk or where, are we waiting for more motivation? Are we simply waiting for more knowledge because how much knowledge do you actually need? What are we waiting for? A fuzzy feeling? There's nothing left to wait for. There's nothing left, left to wait on. We have all that we need. So what's holding us back? So get in the game. Have you committed to the mission? And I say that carefully because we talk a lot about our mission as a church here at West Hill, but it's really bigger than that. Because if we want to be a church that's blessed by God, then we have to have the mission that Jesus had. So, are you committed to the mission of Jesus? Now, Zach's mission, not Michael's mission in the student ministry, but the mission of Christ. Because the mission of Jesus was to come and to seek and to save the lost. And that must be our mission as well. So I want to lovingly extend a challenge to all of us today. Will you be obedient? Will we be obedient to the command of Jesus to proclaim the gospel and make disciples? Will you commit to take the gospel to your family and to your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers? Because if we want to see God build his church, it will require that. So don't wait another day because all we need has already been given. As I think back on 2021, we have worked really hard at staying on mission. And there are a lot of things that 
come our way, come my way specifically as a pastor, that are distractions to the mission. And the only thing that I want to be unified around as the church in 2022 is the gospel. The life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ who came to breathe life into my dead soul. And he will breathe life into the dead souls in our community. And I will, I will do everything within my power to make sure that we stay laser focused on that mission. That's what I want to talk about. If I would love for someone to ask to meet with me in 2022 and the conversation be about their lost neighbors, friends, and family. I would love for those conversations to revolve around gospel unity and where we can go as a church in reaching people who are far from God and seeing them grow up in their faith. That's the kind of conversations that I want to have in 2022. Because at the end of the day, they're eternal. And that's what matters to me. All we need has already been given to do the work that God has called each and every one of us to do. So are you committed to that mission? Will you commit to build a relationship? And maybe that starts with building a relationship with God himself first. Maybe you do need to draw close to him and then start developing a relationship with someone else who is far from God. Maybe you need to build that relationship with someone who does know Jesus and disciple them and to help them grow into these next steps. Maybe you need to share the story, share your story, how you came to know Christ, to share how God has been faithful in your life over and over again, and then bring those people along with you to come and see and know and experience. That makes me excited, and I hope it does you too. All we need has already been given. And I really, I want our church to be unique because we want to be uniquely us. But I want an Acts chapter two, three, four, five, six, all the way to the end kind of church. One that is laser focused on Jesus and doesn't apologize about it. One that brushes all the other stuff to the side and says, it's Jesus plus nothing else. Jesus is it. So will you commit to the mission? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ at all. You don't know Jesus as your savior. Today could be the day. The wait is over. You don't have to wait another second. And so what does a relationship with Jesus look like, you may ask? It's a complete surrender of your life to the one who paid and gave his life for yours. That every single person sitting in this room today was born a sinner, is still a sinner, and there's a penalty for sin. The Bible tells us that, that there's a penalty for sin and it's death and separation from God forever in a place called hell. I still believe that hell is a real place and that Jesus came to die 
for sinners who were going there. And every single person in the room this morning is a sinner. You may think that you haven't been that bad of a person. That's irrelevant because we're not sure. You could never define what's good enough anyways. We are all sinners. We are all bad people. And our sin has separated us from this perfect, holy God. But God is so good that he doesn't leave us here floundering around, figuring out how we can pay for our sin. And, and if we ask the question of, would you go to heaven if you died today? And you would answer that question, well, I think so, because I've been a pretty good person. There's never good enough. So Jesus came and he lived the life that you couldn't live and he paid the price for your sin. And the Bible says that he paid the price for the sins of the entire world. That means every single beating heart can respond to the gospel. And that includes you. And so Jesus comes and he lives a sinless life. He never does anything wrong. And he goes to the cross and he pays the price for the sins of this world, as John, 1 John 2 tells us as an advocate. He goes and he pays the price for your sin. And he says over and over again that those who would repent and believe the gospel can have new life. Paul says in the book of Romans, we see it all throughout the book of Acts, that those who confess their sin and call on Jesus to save them can be saved. If you believe that Jesus came and lived the life you couldn't live and he paid the price for your sin and that he rose again victorious over sin, death, and the grave, you can be saved today if you believe that to be true. And so will you repent? It's a fancy word for confessing your sin and asking for forgiveness. And so this morning, will you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to save you? And you can do that right where you are. Don't wait another moment. Do it right now. But maybe you have some questions. I would love to have that conversation with you. To talk to you about how you can know the risen Savior is your Savior. I hope that You'll be back next week as we continue to look at this church of Acts and what God did in them as a result of their faithfulness to his mission. So make plans to be here for how it's done, part one. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the time that we've been able to gather together this morning to worship you, to sing praises to your name, to gather together to spend time with one another as we grow in our faith. But God, we are so thankful this morning for the spirit that has been given to each and every one of us. God, I pray that you would empower us to live in the power of that spirit this week. That we would commit to this mission that you've called each and every one of us to be on. And that we would be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we'd be unashamed to take a stand for truth and that we would live for you, and that we would live for you and you alone. God, thank you for all that you do for us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.